0: So, welcome to Regenerative Medicine Today. This is John Murphy. It's my pleasure to welcome to this podcast Dr. Rory Cooper. Dr. Cooper is a pioneer in various initiatives related to technology application for disabled people. Dr. Cooper, welcome to Regenerative Medicine Today.
1: John, thank you. It's a pleasure to be on your podcast.
0: So, you have so many initiatives that I'd like to suggest we talk about too. First of all, you've been a pioneer in the use of robotics for aiding and disabled people. Can you give us a brief overview of those particular work?
1: You know, I think robotics has a lot of potential to to be an equalizer for people with disabilities in, in reducing the, their impairments as they interact with the environment. So we've been working on wheelchair-mounted robotic interfaces, so that a person who has both upper and lower extremity function impairment can use a robot to perform activities of daily living, such as opening the door or brushing their teeth or shaving or eating, or even such complex tasks as meal preparation or assisting with work. Some of those involve our work with interfaces from things as simple as uh, phone and smart tablet apps, to even working with uh, Mike Boninger and Jen Collinger and Andy Schwartz on brain-computer interfaces. but also working on robotic wheelchairs themselves. One of our neatest projects is the mobility enhancement robotic wheelchair, which can climb steps and climb curbs, and it does self-leveling or um, attitude control. So when going over ramps or side slopes, the position of the user stays constant where the wheels adjust themselves to follow the terrain. And I think that will increase mobility as well as safety uh, considerably.
0: That's very interesting and very promising. So these these technologies mature, how do you get them into the marketplace so people can make use of them?
1: Uh, That's a great question. We work closely with the Innovation Institute and um, have participated in the First Gear program a number of times. We have good connections with both small and large companies. So, for example, our robotic strong arm is now called the PARA, which is a personal assistance robotic arm that has been licensed to RE Squared, a local robotics company that previously focused on military applications of robotics. And that robot is to assist with transfers or assisting people to get in and out of their wheelchairs and onto other surfaces such as bed or toilet or shower. But in our virtual seating coach, which is a robotic wheelchair and smartphone application to get people to use their power seat functions more effectively to follow clinical practice guidelines to reduce risk of pressure ulcers, lymphedemas, or venous thrombosis, was licensed to Permobile, which is actually a fairly large company. So with R squared we used the SBIR mechanism and a license with uh, Promobile. We were lucky to get some NSF and VA funding and then did the technology transfer with support directly from industry. So we use a different number of different mechanisms. I think in our case, we've had a number of successes with uh, launching successful startups, with partnerships on SBIRs or helping larger companies bring new products to market. So with those connections, we're able to uh, work with them when we have an idea that sounds promising to explore avenues for commercialization.
0: So you must have a multidisciplinary team to address these issues and opportunities because you have robotics engineers, you have human factors interface people, and so forth. Is that a correct presumption?
1: It is, and that's one of the things I think that makes us unique. We have engineers, and we have uh, various kinds, so bioengineers, mechanical engineers, computer engineers, working with physicians, primarily physical medicine and rehabilitation, but a little bit orthopedic surgery as well, PTs, physical therapists, occupational therapists, even mental health and rehab counselors, statisticians, and even a few business and law school, we work with them as well. Uh, bringing all those perspectives together actually really at the core of all we do are the people with disabilities themselves you know active engagement of the end user throughout the design process from conceptualization all the way to bringing something to market is is essential to our success as well really all of the rehab professions the business and the law folks as well as the end user and their family engaged to uh, maximize the likelihood of successfully solving the problem and having that solution become commercially available.
0: So as these things move to market, is there a lot of maintenance in terms of keeping these devices up and running?
1: Preferably no. Obviously robots are complex devices. One of the things that we have to work on, though, is making it them as robust and as maintenance-friendly as possible. The you know, challenge in our area is the ability to attain reimbursement, so it's a very cost-sensitive market. And then typically, maintenance is much more infrequent than you would see in industry, for example, for robotics. So those are challenges that we have to address.
0: So one of the challenges in introducing new technology is to have the infrastructure and the communities to support the technology. So I assume these companies that are bringing these technologies to the marketplace are prepared to take care of that challenge as well?
1: One of the things that people might often not realize is that powered wheelchairs today are are really in some ways semi-autonomous mobile robots. And so there is already an infrastructure in place with dealer and supplier networks and maintenance networks to keep them running. So as new technologies such as the robotic arms become introduced or robotic prosthetics or Robotic transfer devices, they could build upon that existing infrastructure.
0: So, Dr. Cooper, as people begin to use these new devices and new systems, I assume there's a level of training required to implement them?
1: When you introduce new technologies like these, you have to actually train clinicians, suppliers, and the end users themselves. Oftentimes, the challenge really is to get clinicians to be aware of new and emerging technologies and to incorporate them into their clinical practice so that consumers would actually be able to benefit from them. And so we work pretty hard at doing disseminations through some of the traditional means, like clinical publications, clinical practice guidelines, educational seminars, but also working now a lot more to use voice of the provider processes, social media, and identifying lead clinicians and lead clinics in order to introduce technology so that they can provide business models for other clinicians to follow.
0: Very interesting. So speaking of training, I know you also have some training programs that relate to getting people with disabilities into new career tracks. Can you describe that a bit?
1: You know, there's a shortage of professionals in the STEM fields in the United States And this has been sort of a declining enrollment of high school kids and community college transfers in a lot of the technical and engineering professions. That, I think, creates an opportunity for our returning veterans and students with disabilities to pursue STEM careers. So that's something that I have a passion for. So we started a research experience for undergraduates with disabilities our program called Elevate Experiential Learning for Veterans and Assistive Technology and Engineering to help wounded and injured veterans transition to college successfully and then to graduate successfully and then at the end of graduation to transition to gainful employment in the workplace. This has been pretty exciting to see that uh, learn the accommodations that need to be made to make a successful Ed- engineering education or technical education and engineering career, and that students with disabilities and veterans with disabilities could actually be pretty readily accommodated. Now we've been focusing even on making high-tech equipment like multi-axis CNC uh, milling machines or electrostatic discharge machines or 3D printing equipment, laser cutting equipment, laser etching equipment, How do we make those accessible for individuals with disabilities so that they can fully participate in their education, especially in the laboratory environment, and maximize their likelihood for gainful employment and a successful career? That's something that's really exciting that we're doing. It
0: certainly is exciting. So how many people are in the program, and do you have any graduates at this point? We do
1: have a number of graduates working in various industries, some of them In uh, high-tech manufacturing, some of them got on to academia. Some are working in assistive technology businesses. We typically take about five to eight veterans each summer. We've been doing that for the past five summers. We are actually currently accepting applications. They're due in March of this year. And we take about 15 to 20 students with disabilities from throughout the United States we have a track record, about 50% of them going on to graduate school. The other 50% tends to go on to government or inter- industry.
0: For these programs you just described to us, where might one get additional information and consider it an application?
1: You could go on to our website and apply online, and that's www.herl.com dot p-i-t-t dot edu and look under the education programs
0: and again what's the deadline
1: the deadline is march 2nd if they don't uh, apply this year the applications will open up again in january of next year
0: so dr cooper I seems to recall that your body's program was recently recognized with a very well recognized award
1: Yes, we're very excited that we received the Blackwood International Design Award for the Best Emerging Assistive Device for our Mobility Enhancement Robotic Wheelchair for the first U.S. recipient of this award. In addition, we were a finalist in the uh, Cybathlon, which was the first Olympic-type competition for robotic technologies to help people with disabilities and older adults. And so we're looking forward to competing again in 2020 and hopefully this time uh, bringing home the gold.
0: Well, congratulations on the progress and the achievements you've, you've made. It's commendable to you, and your leadership, and the team that you've assembled.
1: Well, thanks. We do have a great team here.
0: Dr. Cooper, I'd like to thank you for joining us by phone today and sharing with us these exciting developments and the progress that you've made. If our listeners would like more information, we'll list Dr. Cooper's website, again, on the podcast website. Remind our listeners that if you have suggestions in terms of podcasts, you can reach us at mail at regenerativemedicinetoday.com. I'd like to thank the McGowan Institute for sponsoring this podcast series. Until we meet again, thank you for listening.